Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm your guy, Jay Hall. How are you doing today? How's everything going with you? How's everything popping? Currently, as we are recording, it is election, well, well vote, vote day. It is, yeah, it's, it's November 8th, right? That's the date. Am I looking at it right now correctly? Yeah, November 8th. I voted early, so I'm Gucci, and I'm glad I voted early because I did not have time today. So hopefully you're going to be, you have already got to the polls, and hopefully by the time you hear my voice, things will turn in our favor. <laughs> Democracy would not have fallen off its axis, okay? So let's really do, you know, encourage people not only to vote this time around, but for us to get into a habit that voting is something we need to just always be involved in, especially the local elections, the elections that affect you. We can't wait every four years to vote for one individual to be president and then expect significant change right outside our doorstep. Like We have to be continuous. And voting, it doesn't stop there. We have to make sure that when we vote, we also are active and we make sure we are holding the people that we voted for even if the people that you voted for won, we have to stay on task with them and make sure that they are actually going to be doing their job. You understand? So we didn't, we can't vote and put the pen down and then be upset and angry when things are far away. We always got to keep it on and we have to keep the pressure on, hold those accountable and stop those that are trying to take the rights from us. Okay. So I just want to make sure we clear on that because we didn't necessarily get a chance to have a conversation necessarily about that because we had other things, but I definitely want to get that, you know, because voting should be something we should be always talking about. We shouldn't necessarily have to wait and to vote to kind of everybody rush out and then go out there. So let's get that, you know, and I'm definitely going to vote early and next go around. If you can vote early, trust me, do it. Cause I went in there, they had free drinks, you know, as in like juices and cookies. <laughs> it wasn't crowded. It was the greatest experience, most relaxed experience of my life. I took my time. I was Googling you know what I'm saying? To try to figure out who I want to vote for, all these things. So, you know, shout out to you. Um, I got to ask a quick question to our producer, Ghost. Um, you never, ever hear about Ghost, okay? So this is an honor, okay? So Ghost, you're going to hear Ghost's voice, and he's going He's going to go back to work, okay? So Ghost, are you there? Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> okay. My good brother, um, do you remember the first book you had to read that wasn't assigned to you in school? I do. Um... I wish I could remember the full title, but um, if, if, if I'm if, if I re- remember, it was Muhammad Ali actually. Oh, really? Was it written by Muhammad Ali or just about him? The bio biography Muhammad Ali. Okay, and yep. why, as a grown man, do you feel like you still remember that book, like that you read it? Man, um, the the fullness of his journey, mm. and you know the. The, the quality of his integrity of the, of what he fought for and what he was a champion of in the boxing ring and outside of the boxing ring, you know, to see someone who looks like me and what he, what he stood for. It was just so powerful. And, you know, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's like, just like one of my all time favorite sports athletes in the world. You know, there's a, a number of them like anybody else would have, but yeah, I, w- I would say that book was, was a, a piece in shaping my my reality at a very young age. Okay. And, that, you know, it's so crazy because what you picked out is going to be very instrumental in what we're going to talk about today. Just for the record, I was going to say technically my first book where I wasn't assigned was, was Garfield. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> it, uh, well, to keep well, it, well, if I'm gonna keep it a buck, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was, it was, it was Garfield. We used to order from. I don't know if you had that when you was coming up, yeah. um, Ghost, but we had this book order club when I was a kid called Troll, and I used to always order all the Garfield and Heathcliff books. Yeah, this is what I used to do. But um, my first book that I read without being in science school was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And oh. by that time I read it, I had already saw the movie. You know, yeah. you knew Malcolm's story, but I had never read the book. Mm-hmm. And when I read it, it was kind of the same feeling that you felt about Muhammad Ali. It was about the the beginning and the end, like how you went from here to there. And, yeah. you know, with Malcolm's story, he went through like, what, five different changes? Yeah. You know, and it just... If I marveled at the the transition that you know he was allowed to make in that. So thank you, I appreciate yeah, no, that, Ghost. No Ghost doesn't do this, okay? I just want you to know this was honor and a privilege. Don't be expecting Ghost to lose all the time. He's, his name is Ghost for a reason, okay? His name is Ghost for a reason. Right. I can call, um, y'all can call me anytime. Y'all can call me anytime. Oh, he's, he's nice today. Okay, okay. <laughs> so that's what happens when you vote early. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Less stressful. He ain't got nowhere to go. So he's yeah. fine. Um, I'm going to take you back for a little second because as I was coming up, um, it's something that I always remember was when my mother made a purchase to the Encyclopedia Britannica, right? That's how you pronounce it, Encyclopedia Britannica. They always had a commercial with this guy with the glasses talking about it and everything, or a kid with glasses. And when my mom got that, it was all these encyclopedias in the house sitting in one area. And I promise you that changed things in my household because every little thing I would ask my mom, the slightest question, her response became, look it up. I get like, mom, who, who you know, who, 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 why we call this spoons? Go look it up, mom. Um, you know, why they call it a milkshake? Do they shake? Go look it up, mom. What time is it? Go look it up. Like, I mean, she was on that hard, and it became embedded in me about to the point where I would even ask her a question. I would just already just go to the encyclopedia, you know, get the looking it up and get the reading. You know, growing up in Detroit, you know. We have a lot of street selling like novels, which is kind of related to a being comparison I can give you is kind of Harlem. And in Detroit, the it's not uncommon to come across a lot of black ideologies and leadership. I mean, first of all, the fruit of Islam started in Detroit, Michigan, for those that don't know, you know. So you got the fruit of Islam and one other memory I have in my head to Detroiters who may know, was a church slash bookstore called Shrine of the Black Madonna. Now, I live by Shrine of the Black Madonna bookstore. And I didn't even know it was a bookstore for years. I just knew seeing Shrine of the Black Madonna. And it was located right there on Livinois and Davidson. Yeah, get at me. You from back home. You know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I would ask my mom, like, what's Shrine of the Black Madonna? And, you know, I would get these, you know, answers. And I'm not going to lie to you. I had to look it up later on, but it's it's also a church. Now, I've been there. That's where you would go to get your black writer, you know, conspiracy theories or just black novels like Autobiography of Malcolm X or written anything written about Muhammad Ali, things like that you can find centered at the Shrine of the Black Madonna bookstore, you know. And also they would have um, open mic nights. And uh, a big brother of mine, I remember he went there. His name was Michael Muhammad. And, you know, he recited poetry there. And all of the poets from throughout the city would come out there and do their poetry and do their thing. And I'm pretty sure they had other events and things throughout the community also too. I'm just only giving you my experience. So no disrespect to those that were part of that community. I'm just giving you, you know, the take that I have when I was there. 
you know. And to be honest with you, I'm probably one of the few people from back home, respectfully, that can tell you about a lot of the ideologies in Detroit, you know, because when you're home, you don't necessarily realize just how black your city is until you step out into other cities. Like when I hear people say things like, I never had a black principal, black man principal. I'm like, I had that. You know, I never, I hear, you know, people who will say like, all my teachers are white, all my teachers are black. Like everything back home is black. And so when you hear any kind of rhetoric, whether this came from a brother selling bean pies on the corner or just your uncle and your auntie sitting at home, any kind of conversation about black leadership, any kind of conversation about the black man is God, any kind of conversation about Jesus is black and things like that, that was normal around my way. All jokes aside, you know, it freaked me out when I found out that people were freaked out about a black Jesus. My mother had converted over to Catholicism when I was a child, maybe like middle schoolish, right? And so I went over there with her and I ended up going to a school called St. Cecilia. Now St. Cecilia is known for their basketball. That's where Jalen Rose and Christopher Weber met. Um, a lot of sport icons in the city played ball there. I actually went to school there. And St. Cecilia was also known amongst the community for having a huge, <laughs> huge painting inside the church of a black Jesus. Huge. I'm talking about black Jesus in the clouds. And also in that clouds was Malcolm X, Robert F. Kennedy, I think John F. Kennedy, and I think Gandhi, if I'm not possible, you know, I think so. And I think to the right, there was a small statue the shrine of the black Madonna. And listen, I'm giving you all these things and this was just a part of my come up. I'm not necessarily understanding all of them as, I, as I'm getting older. I'm not understanding why this is a big deal. I do know that the history of having that black Jesus, from my understanding, there was a priest who, you know, could see that the neighborhood was changing, that the city itself was becoming black, especially with white flight after the riots or the rebellion. And so he decided to make Jesus a representation of the city around. Now, what I didn't know, there's when I went to another Catholic school that St. Cecilia was almost kind of the quote unquote black sheep amongst the, you know, black Catholic schools or a community. When I went to another one and I was like outside of the city for a second and I was like, hey, I came from St. Cecilia, they kind of paused for a second. And I remember a white counselor looking at me kind of on some like, oh, you know what I mean? He was looking at me a little whatever because that wasn't the norm, but it was the norm to us inside our, you know, our little radius. It was, the, it was the norm to us as you, as you, as you grow within that, you know, when I think about that and I think about some of the conspiracy theories or theories that people would die with, it leads me to something that I was kind of reluctant to even talk about. And that's Kyrie Irving, right? Brooklyn SPG Kyrie Irving. Now I've had my issues with Kyrie Irving <laughs> just from afar. He's probably one of the greatest point guards to ever pick up the ball. I mean, his handles are second to none. And that's a big deal because my favorite player of all time, as I say at times, Kyrie Irving is gifted. But, man, if you know about Kyrie Irving or if you're Googling him right now, you're going to see, along with his sport accolades, a long list of just controversial things this person has done. I'm just going to give you a few. First of all, at one point, he was one of those individuals that felt that joined and felt that the world was flat. Yes, he felt like the world was flat. 
and he would make that argument with you about the world being flat or there was never nothing, you know, no proof of it. And it became a huge debate, if you remember, a few years ago. Now, of course, I think, and I can be paraphrasing if I'm wrong, you know, please feel free to hit me up. I remember him going through a period even when he was confronted with the world is flat. He had an attitude about it at one point, but then I think he even went back and was kind of hinting that he was joking, not with you seriously. But Kyrie Irving always has something to say when nobody asks of him. Later on, oh, mind you, he's been in the season, he's been in the league, I think, what, 12 seasons now? Maybe two, maybe three full seasons he's actually played because it always seems to be an issue. He's either injured or there's an issue. Like, just this past year, he didn't necessarily want to get vaccinated. And so that became a big deal. So the first part of the season, he wasn't balling. And they had to come to an agreement where he can only play home games because, no, he had to play away games. I'm sorry, he had to play away games because New York, you had to be vaccinated in the city of New York. Became the topic. It was all over ESPN, every other sports show, Fox Sports and everything. Is he a good teammate? Yada, 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 yada. And then, as you know, the a lot of the rules and regulations of COVID got lifted. And I'm pretty sure towards the end or maybe when playoff season came, he was able to play at home or something like that, that nature. He also shared a video, Alex Jones. It was a New World Order theory that alleges that state actors we're planning to oppress publicly internationally releasing the virus. Meaning, you know, in translation, that that video was pretty much saying that COVID is playing. And Kyrie Irving posted it. Okay. But recently, he posted a link to a documentary called, you ready? Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America. Now, he just posted a link. And when he posted a link, most of us had no idea what that doc was. I didn't. It's a doc that's located on Amazon. Come to find out, it's a documentary that is allegedly, at the time, because I hadn't watched it, of anti-Semitic rhetoric throughout the entire film. When asked about it, a reporter talked to him, and Kyrie, and you can Google this, was going back and forth with the reporter, with the reporter when the reporter said to him, Kyrie, how do you feel about the fact that you, know, you promoted an anti-Semitic movie? And he was like, I didn't promote it. He was like, well, you put it on your Twitter. I didn't promote it. Stop saying I promote it. But you put it on your Twitter, Kyrie. I didn't promote it. Do you put things on your Twitter? I mean, it just became a whole mess of nothingness. Okay? Then it became a big deal about that later on, you know, when he was confronted again. And I'm going to actually read this to you from um, Yahoo News because he had a week to actually apologize. But in the midst of the apology, I remember one of his responses was, quote, and this is from Yahoo Sports, quote, I am a human being that is 30 years old, and I've been growing up in a country that's told me that I wasn't worth anything, and I came from a slave class, and that I come from a people that are meant to be treated and the way we are treated every day, the Brooklyn Nets star said. So I am not here to compare anyone's atrocities. I'm just here to continue to expose things, unquote. I also remember when he was asked about why he's anti-Semitic, he kept repeating, I can't be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. I can't be anti-Semitic if I know where I come from. Now, here's the thing. The documentary is filled with a lot of Black Israelite faith-driven views. What are Black Israelites, you might say? Well, to people in New York, 
if you're ever in New York City, especially in Manhattan, they're the brothers that are uniquely dressed and are preaching the words that black people are the original chosen people. They're the original Hebrews. Now, let me kind of go back a little bit because there's something I forgot to tell you about my come up. I actually have experience in this. The first time I have experienced, the first time I experienced um, black Israelites was a family member had, you know, became a believer in them. And I had no idea what it was. I got a call from another family member and it was a big deal in my family. I mean, because this family member was so committed to their faith that they were actually getting ready and they end up doing it. Them and a group of other young people had broken off from the church and they had moved to Egypt. It was a huge deal before they moved to Egypt and it was a huge deal while it was gone. They were out there for about maybe, I think, less than a year, maybe a year, and I could be wrong. And then they returned. But it was a strain on the family as far as like, yo, what's this? What's happening? This is coming out of nowhere. What's going on? And it was a personal thing that everything has healed since then, but there's still a little bit of residue left from it, if that makes sense. I mean, you got to think when your introduction to someone is telling you about a new faith that they're in and then they're actually about to move after that, and then dip set and you love them, it's not necessarily going to be the best way, you know, for you to kind of accept something new, right? And that didn't, that didn't just necessarily go for me. That went from other family members as well. So getting back to the Hebrews as Negro Doc, it has been covered now, spotlight on it, through every sports panel you can believe, and maybe even panels on CNN and MSNBC. Now, me being a writer slash journalist, I struggled with this. The first time I looked it up, I saw that it was eleven ninety nine, and I said, "Hell's no, I'm not paying no eleven ninety nine to watch no documentary that I don't even want to watch." But then, as time went on, I started to say to myself, "I'm not somebody who ever feels that I can give a full, full response to something unless I witness it, especially when it starts making noise in the culture." I went back to my childhood. My mom saying to me. Look it up. Go read that. So I sat in front of my TV maybe like a day later. And I hit the button and I, and I rented it. And then when I rented it, once I hit confirm, I realized that the documentary is three hours long. Now, just on the side note, I'm pretty sure in all of my grown-ass life that that was probably the most wasteful $11.99 I've ever spent in my life. And I can't get those three hours back. And I'm pretty confident that moving forward in life, I'm going to spend $11.99 on something that's more value. And I'll tell you why. It's not so much about what your belief is, because we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. It's, it's, it's not so much about that. I, I promise you, it's not about the belief. It's not about if you believe that Black people are the original, you know, you know Hebrews and stuff like that. Because I got to tell you, I'm a spiritual person, all right? I'm what you call somebody for the longest. I was more of a spiritual theorist, meaning I was on some for the longest of life. Like, hey, <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a, you know, a spiritual being that created some of this. And there's some answers we don't have. I just didn't necessarily agree with what was going on in the Bible. OK, as I got older, I started going into more of my practice. I started going deeper into my spirituality and certain things and nothing that I'll necessarily get into here. But I got more, less of the theory and kind of more into, you know, the belief in things and stuff like that. And then plus, I'm a curious person by nature. I like to study um, religions and, you know, have conversation with people with different views and, and not 
debate them or anything. I'm just, I'm just very interested on how you got to that, especially when you think about how faith has played a part in the Black community and what it's done for us. But there were some things in that doc, I got to tell you. Well, at first when I didn't watch, I would have to always say, allegedly, it has anti-Semitic views in there. <laughs> but yo, <laughs> about 25 minutes into the film, it quotes the international law. And the international law, which I had to Google, was an anti-Semitic pamphlet that was out in the 1920s. Yeah, it was out in the 1920s. It was funded, I repeat, funded, funded by Henry Ford. Okay? And it makes a quote about pretty much how Henry Ford is pretty much concerned that Jewish people are going to take over his business. Yeah, Ford Motor Company, pretty much concerned about that. Now, I'll give you something else. The international law was located in Dearborn, Michigan. And if you're from back home, Dearborn was not the place that was always welcoming for Black people. Okay? So for me, it gave me more context when I read that. Also, International Jew is not only an anti-Semitic booklet, but it served as one of the inspirations for Adolf Hitler's book, Me Kempf. And I think I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, I'm not. But Hitler quoted it in his book about it being something that inspired him. These pamphlets. And 25 minutes into Hebrews and Negroes, <laughs> we're talking about this, right? We're quoting it. And I'm like, yo, this is wild. Later on, it even quoted The Hidden Tyrant. It's a book by Walter White that is allegedly interviewing Harold Wallace Rosenthal, who was a, a aide to a senator, to a politician. He was an aide. And it quotes it by pretty much saying that, you know, he's a Jewish man. Harold Wallace Rosenthal was a Jewish man. And within this book, it's stating that he's pretty much a Jewish man, admitting that Jewish people got together and said, we're going to take over the world. We're going to first take over movies and this and this this. And in a documentary, you know, it states that, you know, the book is a quote from 1978. When I looked it up, the problem is, is that Harold Wallace Rosenthal was murdered in 1976. The book, when it came out in 1978, it's always been debated of whether or not he actually had this interview. Now, why am I saying this to you? Am I somebody that don't believe in this? And am I somebody who don't believe in that? No. My whole point of bringing all of this up to you, in all honesty, is <laughs> little small things like this is what I be feeling like the biggest problem is when it comes to misinformation. I would make an argument with you that misinformation has been hurting our community more than damn near gun violence. Just being misinformed. Now, before I get into that back, Kyrie, as of right now, has been suspended for five games. And apparently he has to do certain things in order to be reinstated. Um, just the other day, day before yesterday, Nike has already announced that they suspending their agreement with him with his shoes. I didn't know Kyrie Irving had shoes, but they are. And one of the requirements he has to do to be reinstated is to issue a verbal apology and condemn the anti-Semitic film, share the apology on social media, complete sensitivity training, meet with Jewish leaders, meet with Sai make a 500,000 donation to anti-hate causes. Now, Kyrie struggled with that, but finally he made an apology on IG 
and hopefully everybody can go to bed. Meanwhile, a lot of people in the black community, black voices has been using their social media platforms to say, quote, I stand with Kyrie. A lot of them feel like this is a, another teardown of the black man. You know, you're trying to make the black man look bad. And even in his reinstatement, a lot of people feel like that's doing too much. I just read on Yahoo Sports News that Jaden Brown, who's the forward for the Boston Celtics, but he's also the National Basketball Players Association, which is a labor union. He's also the VP. He's someone that stated that a lot of people and within the union feel like that that reinstatement is too much for Kyrie. They feel like, yo, enough is enough, right? And then like, there's people who share that. But there are a lot of people that is feeling like, yo, you're trying to tear down this black man. There are a lot of people that's feeling like, Yo, this black man right here, you know what I mean? He's standing on his principles. They felt like that when he was on the anti-vax thing, you know? He's standing on his principles. Why are you trying to tear down this black man? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it. They feel that way about Kanye also, too, right? And they're not understanding. I even had a conversation with somebody where I was trying to explain to them why 25 minutes into that film, why quoting that pamphlet was a big was anti-Semitic. And they was like, well... The author is just quoting, you know, the author is just it's just it's just quoting other people. It's not the author itself that's that's talking about it. You know what I mean? This is this is BS. This is BS. And I was like, um, I don't know if you really know what anti-Semitic means. And that's what I think we gotta kinda actually get to is that I don't think people really know sometimes the definition of stuff. Listen, I'm somebody who don't know the definition of stuff. I will tell you what brought it home for me was there's an IG page that I follow called Black Detroiters. And I didn't know that the documentary was actually created by somebody named Robert, I'm sorry, Ronald Dalton Jr., a Detroiter. And this is what the bio says, according to Black Detroiters on IG. It says, quote, the film actually premiered at the old landmark Main Art Theater in Royal Oak in 2018. Ronald Dalton Jr., earned his bachelor's degree from Eastern Michigan University and his master's degree from Wayne State University. While working at Sinai Grace Hospital in Detroit over a decade ago, Ronald Dutton Jr. said he began to see a shift in his thinking, wondering why Black people suffered more than other groups of people. He said the spiritual waking led him to write his first book in 2015, Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, his Hebrew Academy of Detroit says it explores the original Hebrews of the Bible and students learn how Hebrews became today's Negroes, unquote. That brings more context for me bringing it back home. And why probably my timeline, especially Facebook, which I'm rarely really on, I only go on there really to kind of manage my business accounts. Why a lot of people back home were so ants for it, right? And I kind of noticed this pattern. Like when I was first introduced to the term hotel, some of the people that are referred to as hoteps, and I'm not going to name them because that's completely unfair. A lot of their tour dates include Harlem and Detroit. Okay? <laughs> it's like straight up. Like, they go all over the world, you know what I mean? But a lot of their tour dates include Harlem and Detroit. Like, Detroit is definitely one of their places where they at. They go to these black cities, these black towns, or these, these black sections where a lot of this conversation rhetoric is, is easy to consume. You know? And it makes me think about when I when I say, and I walk this carefully because we have our faiths. We do. We even if you are an atheist, you have a faith in something, even if that faith is yours. And I I'm a little bit guarded when it comes to my process and how I got here. So I, I try to respect everybody's this, right? But here's what I say to any black Israelite 
when it comes to this is that this documentary should not be your king. This cannot be your king. It just can't. There has to be a way to be able to communicate your stance and your faith and your well-being and who you are without backhanding another marginalized community. Now, I get it. There's a whole theory of, well, they took away the knowledge from this, this, and this. But, yo, you are going to lose every time you quote Adolf Hitler. Okay? And he quotes Adolf Hitler in there also, too. (laughs) You are going to lose. It's just that simple. You cannot quote an individual who spent their adult life killing a marginalized group of people and leaving a mark on them, which we know and we read and we learned in school as Holocaust. You can't do that, yo. You're going to lose. You're going. It's almost like if you try to have, talk to me about the, the better men of the black community and you bring up a, a point that David Duke says, you think I'm listening to you after that? And don't hit me with the over my head, you know, you got to take out your emotions. And hit, I don't want to hear that, yo. This is David Duke. I'm not trying to hear what he has to say. So why are you expecting for another group to hear what you have to say where Hitler is the ultimate villain? He's the ultimate villain, yo. And the thing is, I think what people don't understand when it comes to something being anti-Semitic is that there are a lot of people in the Jewish community who have passed down information to themselves generation to generation about what to look out for to prevent another Holocaust, right? There's been propaganda. Like Hitler didn't wake up one day and just say, I'm going to start killing a bunch of people. He had to rise to power. There had to be some sort of a, a fear that was already there amongst the community. And then when you think about World War II or even before that, and I'm not, I'm a little bit sketchy on the details, but I'm pretty sure Germany was kind of going through somewhat of a recession or whatever, but the blame was going towards the Jewish community. Like, oh, yo, there was a lot of newspapers and propaganda saying like, yo, the Jewish community out here, they making money off y'all. They're the ones to blame. And then you got this man who comes to power and he uses those things. He uses all those tropes to, to, to empower the things that he has to say. And he becomes a leader and he starts killing millions and millions of people. That's, you don't think for generations that's going to leave a sore spot? Because I gave you an example of that. That's like us as black people, right? I don't care that the police are illegally operating under the guise of the law. There are things that they are doing that feels very slave-like to me. Because these are things that have been passed down within my generational pool. These are things that have been told to me throughout the history of where I'm standing. So, yes, there are going to be certain things that are going to be sensitive to me that may not be sensitive to anyone who is non-Black. I understand that. That's just logic. That's just empathy. That's just something of understanding of like, oh, this is why they set this alarm off. And here's the thing with that. To the Kyrie Irvings of the world and the people that are you know, want to stand strong with Kyrie and everything like that, is that even if you don't understand, that's okay. But don't sit there and try to be so bright about something that you don't even want to hear any kind of new information. There's this book that I've been reading called Principles by Ray Dalio. And in the book, Ray Dalio, he's pretty much talking about a lot of things. Of You know, he's a successful businessman, um, a, a friend of mine, my right-hand man and Conrad Woody turned me on to this book. And so I've been kind of making a habit kind of reading books monthly. So I've been reading some pages from it. But he says this quote that, honestly, I read this morning that stands out. And in the book, he says, quote, even the most intelligent people generally behave this way. And it's tragic. To be effective, you must not let your need to be right be more important than your need to find out what's true. If you are too proud of what you know, 
or of how good you are at something, you will learn less, make inferior decisions, and fall short of your potential, unquote. That is the problem with misinformation and confirmation bias. If you are okay with hearing something that you already deeply believe and you're so into your right that you don't want to receive no information or when someone is telling you this is offensive, that you don't want to actually hear what they got to say when it comes to that, then you're going to block out a lot of important information that can come your way that can stunt your growth. Now, yeah, I get it. It's a lot of sticky things. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I don't feel a certain type of way about certain groups being able to get something. And, certain, and, and when it comes to us, we don't get it. I hear all of that. But what I don't understand is how we can get upset about when another group can get certain things done. And when someone offends them and then they get whoever offends them, get things taken away from them. And then we get upset at that group instead of trying to figure out what we can do. Now, mind you, there are a lot of us that are not in leadership positions. We're not in the head of Adidas or the head of Nike. So when Kanye West says the things that he says that was anti-Black at one point, and he talked about Harriet Tubman and Free Nobody and slavery is a choice and all those things, we didn't have a lot of corporate positions where we can actually pull things from that would affect them. But we caught, we could have culturally all been on the same page because culturally, we all believe that what we saw with George Floyd was a big deal. And culturally, we made the world pause and everybody jump on board. But instead, culturally, we were divided when it came to Kanye West, just like culturally we're divided when it comes to Kyrie Irving. We couldn't even get to the point of just saying, yo, bro, apologize. You hurt people. And here's my thing from a personal standpoint. Feel how you want to feel. I cannot stand somebody who throws stones and then hide their hands. I can't stand it. Like, the thing is, is that when you put something on Twitter, homeboy, that is your platform. And I hate when every time somebody is confronted with something, they get angry when you ask them about simply why did you do that. Then all of a sudden, you're offended. And although Kyrie himself had made quotes that I can't be anti-Semitic because I know where I come from, I can't be anti-Semitic because I know where I come from, even if you do believe that you're one of the black chosen people, even if you do believe that, I can tell you, there are a lot of Uncle Ruckers out there. Yeah, you could be black and still be anti-black, yo. It's true. So even if you do feel like you're an original Hebrew, you could be anti-that still. You can. And I understand that there's layers when it comes to race, color, and all of these things. Hence why I'm not necessarily going to waste my time dipping into that, but I am aware that it's out there. That's why I'm not getting at the faith of it. When I'm getting at everything, it's this new era of this coolness with not knowing shit, simply speaking. Like, it's okay to admit how ignorant you are and it's to stay in that. Listen, there are a lot of things that I don't know. There are a lot of things I'm ignorant to, but I'm not going to fold my arms because we are in the information age and people are using it less and less every year. Because how is it that you go about your day and be okay with not knowing stuff and brag about it? I'll tell you why. Because we live in a capitalist society and we live in a society that people view the fact that who has more money, therefore they are right. Oh, you were successful in this. Therefore, you must be successful in all other things. Oh, Kanye West is a musical genius. Okay. And then he got successful in fashion. Oh, that makes him an overall genius. No, it does not. It makes him a genius in those two particular things. That's what it probably makes him a genius in. And genius is not the 
same definition as leader. Because you can be a genius, but that does not mean you should lead me. That does not mean that you should lead a whole society like you should be president, okay? And I've heard people make the argument because Kyrie has made donations himself to black causes. He has. But he also spins the globe and spins the block a lot whenever he's confronted by something and he makes this confusion and then he speaks about he wants to be a leader. That is not leadership. That just wants to watch the world burn. That's all it is. And so you don't have to stand by individuals and then go back and then scream at another marginalized group and try to say, well, this is me being pro-black. No, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. You can be within your blackness and you don't have to step on nobody else. You can do that. There's a way to do it. People do it every day, B. And the interesting thing that I find with all of these theories and faiths and everything, I don't ever necessarily hear none of them about putting the empowerment into black women. I don't hear you talking about how like, yeah, yo, Treating the black woman been bad, you know what I'm saying? They are equal. They've been doing it. No, all of you at the end of the day tend to just want the black woman just to lay down and have babies. It's almost as if you're saying, yo, don't let the white men oppress you. Let me oppress you because I'm your brother. That's pretty much a lot of it is saying to me. To me. All right? Sue me if you feel that way. We got to do better at checking this information. We got to do better at understanding that the title is just the beginning. And we got to do better that even when we watch a documentary that we got to look up this information. I watch hip hop documentaries all the time and I get to Google it. Sometimes I rewatch stuff four or five times because I want to get all of the facts. It's hard for me to even get through some of it. It's already embedded in me. Thanks, mom. <laughs> when people are watching stuff with me, they get tired because I'm sitting there Googling as I'm watching. Now, I'm not saying you got to be like me, but we got to get better at what we're doing because doing nothing is nothing. Like, what are we doing out here, yo? When we just allowing everybody to do and say whatever it is they're going to say and just go along with it. I'm on record. And I'll say this a million and one times. The good part about social media is that everybody has a voice. The bad part about social media is that everybody has a voice. Before you elevate somebody, yo, check their credentials. Bring in an expert. Bring in somebody who studied this. And when you watch something, watch it with an objective critique. Don't just take it in because it gives you something. Now, listen, I'm going to have a little empathy because I understand why so many black folks who are now watching a documentary that none of us have ever heard of, why we feel so empowered about this. And I'm going to explain this very quickly. It's because we walk around every day not feeling empowered. Ta-da! So, of course, when you have someone, a film or art piece, that is saying that we are the righteous ones and we are special, when you're living in a country that does that makes you feel like you are less than nothing every single day, it is very much so satisfying to see anything that's going to tell you that you are not that. That not only are you not nothing, but you are the chosen. So yes, that's going to be digestible for people, and they're going to take it no matter the cost, no matter if it hurts another group of people. They're going to receive that. So I get that. Listen, I was once that myself. I've been there. But it is dangerous, incredibly dangerous to not fact check things that are proclaiming that have actually happened. That little small two-year gap that was in the documentary of the hidden tyranny, <laughs> in the documentary, it said that the book came out in 1976. When, when you Google that book itself, it says that the book came out in 1978. So you're trying to say that this book came out while the man was still alive, and it's not true. It's a very small thing, but it's not true. And even if it was completely true, 
You're going to take the word of one Jewish individual and say they represent the entire community? Because if that's the case, that means Flavor Flav in the 80s was president. Because what are we doing here? What are we talking about? What are we saying with this kind of stuff? Oh, Jewish guy right there. He said it's right. Oh, black person right there, man. Yo, he said Black Lives Matter is trash. They don't all represent us. So why are we going to pretend like when we hear a voice, alleged voice from another community, like it all represent them? Why are we going to pretend that? I had a friend that had an argument with me one time, and I sat there patiently while he was spewing out a bunch of statistics. And he was saying a bunch of sexist things, and he was saying numbers like 90% of women are like this, and 80% of women are like this. And I sat there for the longest, and I wasn't saying anything. I was mad, chill. Because I didn't really necessarily come to talk about this. And then I responded and I just simply said, hey, yo, where you get that from? And boy, did he blow up at me. He blew up at me something terrible. And it became this whole debate of who do you know walk around? He was like, you look it up. I said, yo, that's not the way it goes. You're the one that brought up the statistics. You the one should have this horses on deck. If nothing else, you should be able to tell me where to go and get it. Like, if you're the person that's bringing the stats to the table, you should be the one that should have the sources. I should be the one to double check your sources to see if this right. But it's not just up to me after you just start saying numbers off the top of your head. I think back to my first year in college, I had a professor named Professor Fanoy. And I remember it was writing one-on-one. That was literally the class. And she was stopping people off top who would write something like, 90% of black people want to get a bend. She was like, according to who? You know, majority of black people like to look nice. She was like, according to who? Stopping us dead in our track. And listen, we all had work sites we had to do when we were in high school. You didn't have to go to college for this. You didn't have to get an elevated higher learning for this. This was fundamentals that was taught to us in middle school at best. So to sit there now and try to pretend that you don't have to look something up, that it shouldn't be in your daily practice. In disrespect to your own path of education, your own path of knowledge, disrespectful. Why would you plague yourself like that? Why are we not better when it comes to that? Why is it something to be offended by? I'm expecting to get challenged on this. Listen, I write and run my mouth for a living. You don't think people tell me that I need to shut up? You don't think people challenge me every single day? I'm expecting it. I'm, I, I come ready for it. Like, cool. All right, let's have a conversation. It don't have to be no argument. I want to hear what you have to say. And listen, when I'm wrong, I learn something new. So I don't take it as a blow to my ego. Me personally, I don't. I take it like, man, I got that. Like a something I used to struggle with very early on when I was younger was a woman that stays with a man after she's abused. I used to be like, yo, you stay after that, that's on you. I had to have more than one homegirl and some of my mans, but definitely my homegirls, my black women of my life, tell me, inform me about fear, psychological captivity, and, you know, staying with a man because of that, and love, and manipulation, and all of these things. I didn't understand that because I wanted to hold on to being right because of my personal experience of knowing men who went to go rescue a woman and then get shot and dead. And then the woman go back to the man. That's what I was going by. It was an emotional commitment that I had to the people that I know in my past life. 
And I had to get to a point where I had to drop that guard. I had to let that go. I had to be vulnerable enough to receive that information and understand there are many layers and reasons why a woman stays. And I also had to come to a certain ceiling and understand I'm not a woman. If being anti-Semitic is something that you are struggling with, how about you get to a point where you say to yourself, yo, I'm not a part of that community. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's something on the other end that I didn't experience and I didn't understand. Just like when it comes to a white person. If they try to tell me that they went through oppression, I'm looking at them with the blinking eye. Like, really? Oh, you didn't get a job because you're a white man. Really? Tell me about it. There should all be a certain point that we should all give respect to others. And even if it's something you can't see today, maybe in time you'll see it later. Or trust that there's a reason why these individuals are upset. But to turn around and get upset and get mad because the impact that they have seems to be a little bit more heavier and to blame them, no, you should blame Nike. If you're mad that Nike and Adidas didn't do anything when Kanye said something anti-Black versus when Kanye said something that was anti-Semitic, your beef is not with the Jewish community. Your beef is with Nike and Adidas. That is who your beef is with. And if you're expecting them to do something on the behalf of Black people without us at their doorstep, then you got another thing coming because ain't nobody feeling like that. Nobody. So you have to understand how heavy that goes. You have to understand the position that we are in in our community and who we are and what's it about and what we're actually going to do about it. So let's fact check. Let's exchange ideas. Let's listen to each other. Let's understand that receiving information, speaking about new ideas, doesn't have to be harmful to another community. Doesn't have to. People can disagree. But be careful on how you walk. And listen, if they do tell you they're offended, receive it. Like, hear it. And if you don't necessarily understand it in that moment and stance that you are in, then just say, okay, yo, maybe I'll get it tomorrow. But there are certain things we should just stay away from when we're trying to make our points. Stay away from Hitler. Stay away from those voices that have a history of bringing death to a community. And think about how I feel on our end of somebody bringing that towards us in our light and trying to make some sort of an argument. If you do nothing else when you're hearing me, stay away from that shit. Because that shit is bad. It's not good. That's not what it is. Nor should it ever have been, nor should it should be. Now listen, hopefully your blackness got elevated and I saved you three hours of a film that was probably one of the most trash films I've ever seen in my life. And I want to be clear, it's not because of the faith. It's because the film itself was a bunch of visuals of just talking and just rhetoric. And it was all over the place. And it was three hours of my life I would never get back. So I'm going to go meditate and work on forgiving myself. And hopefully you will learn to forgive yourself in times where you didn't fact check or you didn't understand how you hurt another individual. Right? And can we have that? Can we have black empowerment without the baggage of somebody else's stuff? And can we elevate those that actually are out there doing the work? people in our community, voices that actually make this about their life, that actually study this, like for sure, 
And yeah, you can make an argument that this guy studies, but if it, this is his execution, and nah. Remember when it came to making your point in the essay when you was a kid? What they used to tell you about work cited? You had to have about what three to five sources, right? Don't you think you should have that? Don't just grab to the one thing you agree with and be like, yeah. Let it spark your mind and go deeper into that and then try to have more of an understanding because life is about knowledge and understanding. At least that's just how I see it. All right. I appreciate you for checking in. As usual, you can catch me on all my social media platforms at Jayhaw Society. It's been a hell of a week being black, and I hope your blackness has been elevated because mine has to. Be blessed and successful, and we'll talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production.